Heads up that this episode includes the liberal use of the F-bomb, so consider yourself warned. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too much information part of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm your host, Micah. This is season one. Tragedy plus time equals comedy. Dusty Lynn Childers grew up in Gaffney, South Carolina, just like Frances Underwood, the unscrupulous Southern politician from House of Cards. As a kid, young Dusty felt pressure to fit in, and that meant assuming a masculine persona that didn't quite ring true. Dusty's story is about the day his straight-talking mother, who he calls a rainbow-dipped witch, called him out on it. When we met Dusty through our partnership with the national LGBTQ suicide prevention organization, The Trevor Project, in which 10 storytellers from around the country convened in New York City for a marathon week of TMI Project storytelling workshops, culminating in a live performance, Lifelines, Queer Stories of Survival, at the Signature Theater off-Broadway. I spent a great deal of my life fighting for credit in the straight world, and although I know time spent can't be redeemed, I wish that I had not wasted so many years begging for validation. My journey to queer was fraught with anorexia, nair, and plaid. Lots of fucking plaid. I thought I had to be this metrosexual Jack and Will facsimile of a homo. A well-manicured and super queenie fun friend for gals and straight dudes to parade around. Now don't get me wrong. I loved making straight friends. Because they were friends. Friends were a thing I craved more than candy or cock. But these people I conformed for were actually not asking me to do so. A lot of them have stuck around and are obsessed and astonished by queer me. I see the journey unfold in reverse on my Facebook memories. The slow turning out of my now self-proclaimed iconic persona. But there's one memory, too old to be recovered by social media reminders and too strong to ever forget. The time I was butch for a day. It's 1996 and I'm 12 years old, standing in the floral section of Painters, a local mega shop for all things silk flowers located in Gaffney, South Carolina. This is a place the floral designer goes to require one of those huge styrofoam Bibles that eventually get covered in carnations and placed on graves. That's why I lovingly refer to them as death flowers and absolutely shudder when they're in a mixed bouquet given to me. My mother, who is the reason we are here, is an amateur floral designer. If we weren't so hand-to-mouth, she'd have her own shop, Vanessa's Floral Studio. I fantasize about buying her that shop someday when I make it big. Today, we're prepping for Easter. She has finally gotten the cheap sons of bitches at Blue Branch Baptist Church to come off some money to really allow her designs to blossom. She has a vision. A communion table tableau with three huge foam crosses and enough flowers and enough colors to send shockwaves through our congregation. The problem is, I don't want to be here. You see, I've decided to dedicate myself to being butch, a last-ditch effort to save myself from my own elimination. I hold my hands down when I talk. No more wild and rampant gesticulations. I talk slower and deeper, real manly, like I see the other boys who aren't ceaselessly harassed do. That's the ticket. Be like the other boys. The boys who don't have to meticulously plan their outfits. I'll wear all Nike. Thank God they sell a generous 2X as my brand to appear sporty and current, 
though I have absolutely no aptitude for anything involving movement. Well, except ribbon dancing. <laughs> I'll be more like the boys who don't have to continuously practice saying the word no when being asked if they're gay, so as not to sound as gay as possible. The boys who don't chug from a bottle of Pepto-Bismol every day before school to avoid stress-induced diarrhea. Boys who don't have to worry if they'll make it out alive of the porcelain hell that is the bathroom with no locks on the doors. Taking a cue from my actress obsessions, I insist that I will go method with this macho charade. All day, every day. Macho realness. Unclockable. Maybe, just maybe, by the grace of God or Jesus or whoever the fuck is watching out for me, it will stick. Vanessa asks what I think of this or that. Stone-faced and aloof, I say I don't care. She continues on to the next aisle, stopping to debate aloud with herself about whether this yellow daffodil is too blue-casted, side-eyeing me real hard. Next aisle, more flowers seeking so hard to resemble their naturally occurring counterparts, only amplified. She asks my opinion again. This time it's an orchid. I tell her very sternly, I don't care, and am careful to roll my eyes just so, as to appear masculine. We progress through the store silently. She goes to pick up another bunch of flowers and stops the cart abruptly. What the fuck are you trying to prove with this pretending not to care shit, she squawks. She stares up at me so hard, my third eye is burned by her brilliantly eyeshadowed lid, which matches her oversized diaphanous tunic and her socks and her earrings, her talon-like acrylics and her salmon Libby bow-toed flats. We're big folks, and she always says when you've got a lot of space to merchandise, you better make the most of it. But keep it cohesive. I still don't respond. I stand, feet as wide as my shoulders, hands in pocket, scowling, manly. I know this isn't going to work with her. This is the rainbow-dipped witch who conjured me up in utero to be her confidant, her gal Friday, her partner in crime. She's hip to any tricks I try to pull, no matter how expertly executed. I look at the buggy heaping with Easter. I grab bundles of her options, all in the wrong shades and textures, and hand them to her, shoving them into her hands defiantly. Those are terrible, I say. I knew you'd say that, she says. We reverse our path, putting things back as we go, like a VHS rewinding. Starting back at aisle one, together, she and I pick the best fakes. Just so you know, Dusty's childhood sheroes certainly didn't end with his mother. Not in any order. Reba, Mariah, Whitney, and then like Loretta Lynn and Tammy Wynette and Dolly Parton. Mary J. Carpenter specifically because she was like, She's like the country Tracy Chapman. How good of a tour would that be? Tracy Chapman and Mary Chapin oh Carpenter. Oh my God. Chapman and Chapin Carpenter? Wow. Keep listening for the next episode of Tragedy Plus Time Equals Comedy. Uh, so my first wife bought this bar of soap that smelled like Thai food, uh, and I, I ate it. I'm Micah, and my co-host is Eva Tenuto. This episode is produced by Haley Downs. Our Director of External Affairs is Sarah DeRose, and our Operations Manager is Blake Field. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Special thanks to Dusty Lynn Childers, or at Duddy Lynn on Insta. This episode of TMI Projects Podcast, Tragedy Plus Time Equals Comedy, was produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. 
with production assistance by Ida Hakala, Nate Brogan, Marlon Barry, and Manuel Blas. Here's the part where we ask for your help. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. TMI Project is a nonprofit organization, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners. Help us continue to create radically true stories that have the power to change the world. Make a donation today. And if you're inspired to tell your own story, join us this summer at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Eve and I will be teaching a TMI Project true storytelling workshop, August 23rd to the 28th. You can find details on our website, tmiproject.org.